Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, drink beer, talk NFL and college football. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? We've got another great show today. We're going to discuss some top free agents still available in the NFL, more college football realignment news. Does the NFL have a gambling problem? We're going to draft the top eight corners in the NFL, plus draft grades for the AFC East, and a lot more to cover today. But joining me to break it all down, my co-host, Alex Higdon. Alex, what is going on? Hey, what's up, Brad? Another week, as I always say, we're getting into the dog days of summer. For whatever reason, the NBA doesn't know how to put together a good final so that everybody can stay entertained. But the good thing is, we're here to entertain you in between and get ready for these dog days of summer. <laughs> oh, man, you're not kidding. Like, I, I'm really like, I, this is a football show, so I'm not going to go off topic here. But I've taken some shots at the NBA on, on this show, as you guys know. This NBA Finals it's boring. I'm just going to say this is not a fun matchup at all. And I'm really going to be interested to see what the TV ratings look like after this finals. Cause I am imagining that the guys running the NBA offices right now are not that excited about the way this has gone so far. So yeah, totally side note there, but we're talking football, the greatest sport in the world, the NFL, unfortunately, I'm not sure their NFL office is really excited to hear about this re- recent development here, Alex, because the NFL is investigating Indianapolis Colts cornerback and kick returner Isaiah Rogers for possible violations of the league's gambling policy. Now, reports have come out and state that the sportsbook account was opened under the name of an associate of Rogers and that approximately 100 bets were placed on the account over an undisclosed amount of time, including on Colts games. Now that's really a key piece of information. Now the NFL, we know they've embraced sports betting in recent years and they even have sponsorship deals with sports books, but it's a well-known fact to the players that the league explicitly prohibits players from betting on NFL games. This is not a secret. These guys are well aware of this. This is becoming a major issue in the NFL. Now this investigation is still going on at this time. So, you know, we have to put that in perspective. We don't know exactly what's going to happen here. And by the time this episode airs, we might have further clarification on all this. But Alex, I expect Roger Goodell in the NFL, if this report is true, I expect them to hand out some heavy-handed punishment and I wouldn't be surprised if Isaiah Rogers has already played his last game in the NFL see and here's the problem you get involved and and let me be frank about this I believe across all sports I believe there's betting by the players whether directly or indirectly as it is in this case so that that let's just take that and move that to the side because we're we're not (laughs) you know we we know what's going on out here right but here, here's the problem. For the 25 to $50 range, what are you really gaining from that? Or do you have an, a problem that you feel that you need to place a $25 bet, let's just say, on the Browns and Jags in September? I don't, I don't know what you're betting on and what the gain is and from what you're looking for. That's the first thing. The second thing is, and this is I, I'm, I'm always interested when even I'm a big, huge crime buff and I like to find out how they found out things. How did they find out what was in place? How did they find this out? Was the person that he had as his contact, was he mad and maybe tried to extort him and say, hey, if you don't give me more money, I'm going to go like what happened? How did we get how did we get here? Now, of course, the NFL is going to have to hand out suspensions because they have the integrity of the league to maintain because NFL is one of the, if not the largest sport, but a sport that people bet on, you know, from a week to week basis, whether it be fantasy or whether it just be simple bets on the actual games. So I understand the integrity of the NFL, but there's a lot more that I want to know about this. But as you said, I do expect Roger Goodell to hand down to be hefty when handing out these type of suspensions 
because they can't have this. I mean, we saw what they did with Kelvin Ridley, which is one of the players that have a lot more notoriety in the league and is a starter and a possible star player. We saw what they did there with the unfortunate of these lower level players. You know, these teams will cut you and you may not get a job or be able to live out the dream that you so we work so hard for, for, you know, four or five years of college to get here. So it's not worth it you know, for these plays really just, it's okay. You don't have to bet, bet on basketball. It's okay. Just bow out. He has a $5.3 million contract. I mean, and it says, well, I see one bet was in the low four figures according to the report. So, you know, I can imagine even if you hit on every bet, it doesn't even equal up to what you're making or what you could potentially make in the NFL. So it's absolutely not worth it. Yeah, you're right. It's not worth it at all. It's idiotic. And the fact that this report has some stuff in there about making $25 and $50 bets, I mean, what are you doing? I mean, like like you said, this guy's making millions of dollars. All these guys, for the most part, are making millions of dollars a year, even lower-level backup players. You're making $25 bets? I mean, I'll bet $25 on a game. I'm far from a millionaire, so I don't even understand it. And even if you're betting a few thousand what is the point of any of it? It's so stupid. And the NFL, you're right. They're not going to stand for this. They are absolutely not going to stand for this. And I'm curious as well, Alex. I'm really curious to see how this story develops. What more we find out as information leaks out about how this whole process went down. Because we know back in April, the NFL suspended five players for violating the gambling policy. Last year, Calvin Ridley was suspended for the entire 2022 season for betting on NFL games, the NFL is going to come down hard on this. And I expect them to, because it's starting to become an issue. And what you hit on there is absolutely spot on. The NFL is not going to jeopardize the integrity of its game. He knows he can't be doing it. Otherwise he wouldn't have had an associate making the bets for him. Such a stupid decision that these guys are making and they're gambling with their future in the league. I just don't understand it at all. Go bet on baseball, go bet on golf. I don't care. Just anything. But the NFL, it makes absolutely no sense to me. All right, we've had some recent signings in the NFL. The Indianapolis Colts have waived wide receiver Tyler Adams and signed wide receiver Brashad Perryman. Now, Perryman spent the last two seasons with the Buccaneers. Last year, he caught just nine passes for 110 yards and one touchdown. Alex, it's hard to believe he turns 30 in September a former first-round pick in 2015 with the Ravens, a guy who came into the league with big-time speed and physical traits, but just never really developed into the player that most thought he'd become. Yeah, and I mean, if you watched him at uh, USF, I mean, it was just truly just pure straight-line speed. There wasn't any he, – he could not move his hips. He could not get in and out of breaks. And it was quickly uh, identified and noticed by defenders that he's only going to run straight line. I mean, this is a guy that you can't have on your team. If you put him in the right position, he can succeed. But for what they have and probably what they need, this probably actually helps them. And with Anthony Richardson does have a big arm, I, w- I will say that. But this probably just helps them more in terms of, hey, let's put a guy on the field that if we find if we find ourselves in a situation, we could take a shot. And this is a guy that w- that has shown I believe when he was with Tampa Bay, he had that one really good year where he basically their nine route guy and he was able to really do some things in that offense. He's good in that. I mean, this is this will be the guy that'll be maybe third or fourth or perhaps even fifth on your depth chart. So I think it's a decent signing. I mean, he's only 29. He still has the speed and it will be a person that they can go deep with because this was something that they were lacking outside of the having a good running game they lacked explosiveness down the field and with this player he does provide some explosiveness where you have Michael Pittman that's more of a possession receiver this guy is a big body that can run down the field provided he stays healthy yeah you see it the same way I do Alex in a run heavy offense that I think we all expect from the Colts this year with new head coach Shane Steichen At the very least, he has that type of speed that is going to make safeties have to respect on the outside. I think they see it as having that guy out there is going to keep safeties from loading the box against the run. And really, that's probably where he gives them the most value. The occasional deep shot, especially off of play action. When you're a heavy run team, those play action passes, having a guy that can go deep, a big home run threat, a limited player, but I could see the vision and the philosophy and the role that he could play for this Colts team. 
Outside linebacker Leonard Floyd signed a one-year deal with the Bills worth $2.25 million with $1.5 million guaranteed. Now, he spent the past three seasons with the LA Rams. The Bills were looking to add some pass rush depth to this lineup, and in the last three seasons with LA, he had at least nine sacks, seven tackles for a loss, and 18 quarterback hits per season. A solid player, still a fairly productive player these last few years. I was surprised that the Bills didn't add to their defensive line during the draft in April instead of having to go the free agent route and picking up a guy like Leonard Floyd. But with that being said, they've addressed it. I get it. It makes sense. And I think for the price, it's a pretty savvy move. Yeah, this is a solid pickup. They did need help. You have Von Miller coming off that injury. I mean, this guy coming out of Georgia was a freak of nature with his size, with his speed. Did not take advantage of it. And what I did hear and read about a few things that there was low workout value in terms of putting, you know, practicing hard and putting everything together. He wasn't unable to put it together. But we did see when he got to the Rams, he was able to put some good seasons together. So good for him. But I will say this. The Bills signing him is in tune with what the Rams did where they were able to take advantage of what he can do, which is solely be a pure pass rusher because he's not very good against the run. But what you do get with him is when you have a strong when you have a strong edge rusher and you have somebody like Von Miller on the outside, as you did in with the Rams and when you had Aaron as well in the middle, and now you have Ed Oliver in the middle with the Bills, he can be an effective pass rusher. But I think it's a one-year deal. It's a prove-it deal. So this guy wants to get paid. So we know that we're going to hopefully get his best effort, at least for the Bills' sake, to help that pass rush. Because, But I'm not sure because Ed Oliver, good player. But however, Von Miller coming off that injury, I think this is going to be an interesting watch. But it is a good boomer bust, low-cost, high-return pick. So I'm not mad at this pick. I'm sorry. I'm not mad at this signing at all. Now, 30-year-old linebacker Shane Ray was signed to the Buffalo Bills roster or after completing a workout with the team. He hasn't played in the NFL since 2018. He's a former first-round pick by the Broncos. He had four sacks as a rookie, started eight games in year two, had eight sacks, and was starting to develop into a pretty good player. But he had reoccurring wrist injuries that just really limited his playing time over the next two years. The Broncos ended up letting him go after the 2018 season. He signed with the Ravens, but never played mostly due to injuries. Once again, he spent the next few years getting healthy and actually playing in the Canadian football league. Now he's getting another shot in the NFL with the bills. This is a really, really cool story about a guy who just never gave up, Alex. I'm pulling for him to stay healthy, make this roster, and hopefully make an impact for the Bills this year. Yeah, you know, good for Shane Ray. I mean, these are some of these, we we often hear a lot of the tragedies in the NFL, but here's one of somebody putting in the work and trying to get, you know, a chance to come back. I'll just read a quick quote. He said, I had to humble myself more than humble than ever before, Ray said, following a recent practice from going to Canada and buying in, you know, I can't act like there were days that I didn't walk in and I was like, bro, this is where I am. I was desperate for an opportunity. This is when you find out who people really are when they're when you're painted into a corner, the windows on the other side, what are you going to do? You're going to have to step through the paint. You're going to have to trudge through and make it to that window so you can find your way again. So kudos to him for trying to find his way and getting his way back into the NFL. This is really just the first step for him. Now he's here. Now he's got a chance to really prove himself again. And again, going back to what we just spoke about with Leonard Floyd, this is a guy that coming out of college was supposed to be a very good edge rusher. He had some issues. He had some injuries. And now he's working his way back. Now, if you can put the Leonard Floyd together, along with Ed Oliver, along with Von Miller, and let's say you you put in Shane Ray situationally, you can really have something nice here, something really good here. With losing Tremaine Edmonds, you can really make up for with you what you get when you sign these two players. And with Von Miller coming back, you can really have something special with that ball, excuse me, Buffalo defense. Yeah, I couldn't have put it better, Alex. It's definitely a cool story and a guy who just worked hard to get back to the NFL. And I love seeing him getting another shot here. And you're right, from a football standpoint, if he can stay healthy, make this roster, I think it could be a nice fit. And they desperately need a guy like this to help that pass rush like we just talked about it a minute ago. And like you mentioned there with Floyd, 
They need more pieces on that side of the ball. They need more players like this. So he could actually be an impact player for them if it all comes together. I know I'm rooting for it. Now, we just talked about free agent signings, but there's still some pretty big names left unsigned. The big obvious name, the low-hanging fruit, is DeAndre Hopkins. We talked about him recently when he was released by the Arizona Cardinals. So he's kind of the obvious one out there. But besides Hopkins, who are some free agents that you're circling, Alex, that you think could make an impact for a team this year? How about one Kareem Hunt? This guy... He went through what he went through in Kansas City. He signed to Cleveland. He worked his butt off. He stayed out of trouble. Part of more than likely the best running back tandem in the league for about two to three years. I believe he's rebuilt his stock. Now, I do understand there's age and there's slight wear and tear here. But I think this is a very good player that should be on a team. And a team that I will simply point out, because I'm not too keen on where they are, is the Philadelphia Eagles for him. I know they they let go of Miles Sanders. I know there's some belief there in Kenneth Gainwell. However, when you look at their depth chart as it stands stands right now, their starting running back is DeAndre Swift. That does not bode well for how that offense is currently set up. But why not go and grab a guy who's not going to cost you a lot that you can bring in that's a proven running back until you figure out if Kenneth Gainwell, but then you have that stock there, you have that full stock there of running backs, and you have someone like, like Kareem Hunt to assist in that running because I think they're going to have some issues. And I'm just, there's a couple of teams, but I'll just go with the Eagles since they're in the Super Bowl bubble. That's a team that I would be interested in looking at Kareem Hunt and bringing him in and making him a player. Yeah, I like that fit a lot, especially for such a run-heavy offense. You can never have too many quality running backs. I think that'd be a great fit, especially at a team-friendly price that they'd probably be able to get him at. So that's a great pick. A guy that I've circled, Alex, is offensive guard Dalton Reisner. This is a guy with 62 starts under his belt. He consistently played above average since joining the NFL. Really solid player. But I think Reisner and his agent, I'm guessing the reason he hasn't signed is because maybe they overestimated his market value because he's certainly worthy of a spot on a 90-man offseason roster. And I think he's even capable of competing for a starting position in this league, probably on multiple teams, quite frankly. So the delay here, I think, is more likely due to financial reasons because this is too good of a player not to be signed to a roster right now. Yeah, completely agree. And I wrote down a few offensive linemen as well. He was one of them. And every last one of them, I want the Raiders to sign. Sorry. <laughs> personal, personal, personal ploy there. Please, Raiders, sign some offensive linemen. We need them. Another player that I have, and this one is just a little interesting for me. It's not a high grade, not a high productive person, but Mercedes Lewis. And I'm going to say Mercedes Lewis. Yes, he's a little bit older. How about putting Mercedes Lewis, who's a proven leader, who's done some things in this league, who's a great inline blocker, why not bring him to the Indianapolis Colts? Because that is a very, very young offense. There's not a lot of veteran leadership on the offensive side of the ball. And I think with what you currently have there, you're going to need to bring in somebody like a Mercedes Lewis that people are going to listen to, that's been on winning teams, that's a solid player, and you can still use him as an inline blocker. And when you will be running the ball so he can act actually be effective on the field as well and I'm just using that because I'm looking at and I'm saying this I looked at that offense and I said wow everybody is young on this offense they don't have a true veteran leader on this offense and I'm looking at and I say you know what Mercedes Lewis and I specifically pointed him out because I was like he's not a big name he's a name that we all know because he's been in the league for a while but why not Mercedes Lewis to the Indianapolis Colts as a leader Yeah, that'd be a great fit because, like you said, he brings value as a run blocker. And for a team that, like we talked about a minute ago, is going to run the ball a lot this year, that makes a lot of sense. The veteran leadership, plus a veteran tight end, a reliable tight end who's going to be in the right place at the right time, is always a good thing for a young quarterback. So I like that fit a lot, Alex. Another guy I have circled as a free agent that I'm expecting to find a home here before the season starts, Marcus Peters. I mean, this is a cornerback with great instincts. He had a solid season last year. After returning from that ACL injury, he still performs at a starting level. This is a guy, yes, he's past his prime. Maybe he's not the player he was a couple years ago. But even at the age of 30, he had 44 tackles, one pick, one sack, 
in six pass breakups last year, I think he can still be a solid contributor for somebody. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Marcus Peters, a little bit of a hothead, but I think he's tempered it. You know, Baltimore has a great culture. Listen, sometimes as a player, you need to be self-aware. And for me, if I'm Marcus Peters, I post up in front of the Patriots and I ask Bill Belichick, hey, bring me on. I want to play. You know what I'm saying? I, I just think that obviously to me, what Bill Belichick has done with DBs has been incredible or even better. How about going to Mike Tomlin? Because I think he's a good player, but he needs infrastructure in terms of a team. He can't go to a team that doesn't have the proper infrastructure. There's a lot of talk about him going to the Raiders, going to close. Well, not he's from the Bay Area, but obviously they're in Vegas. I don't think that's a good idea. We don't have the infrastructure, but him going to the Patriots or better yet, even the Steelers, putting him with the infrastructure, I think he can actually be a great addition to those teams. You know what? I was looking at defensive lineman and I did not realize and I'm just going to name three really quick Clowney and Gakwe and Frank Clark and I named them in that order I think Clowney at this point in his career is just a strict mercenary you should put him on a team again another player if he wants to work hard I think whenever he's put everything together we've seen that he can be a solid close to a pro bowl level type player same thing with uh Ngakwe. he's not a run defender he's strictly a pass rusher so he's out there as well and then frank clark veteran i think another guy that you can put on the team and you can use some stuff that you can do some things with yeah those are all great points and Gakwe, you can never have too many pass rushers even just bringing him onto a team as a situational third down player makes a lot of sense for sure and i like what you said there earlier about Pittsburgh and Marcus Peters being a potential fit. I think that'd be a great fit because like you mentioned, Pittsburgh secondary is really shaky. They've got youth and they've got some over the hill guys that they're kind of patching together here to try to put together the secondary. Now they've got great safeties, but, and they've got a great pass rush, but we know the cornerback spot has been a weakness for this team. I think a veteran guy like that who still can play at a high level would be huge for them. Now, last week, we talked about college football realignment, Joel Klatt making that big statement that kind of shook things up. We talked about realignment, how it's dominating the offseason news around college football. The next big move might just be Colorado and Arizona leaving the Pac-12 for the Big 12. This is being reported by James Parks of Sports Illustrated. Now, this is something that many media outlets have speculated about for weeks, if not months. These teams have been rumored to potentially be leaving the Pac-12, but with the Pac-12 media deal set to expire, I think many thought that they'd have a deal done months ago. I know I did. A lot of people thought there's no way we'd be this late in the year without a media deal in place, but every single day, Alex, that passes without word of a new deal, I think the rumors and the reports like this become more and more realistic. Yeah, so if I'm the if I'm the Pac-12, I really have to take a look at myself and find out what's going on with me. Why is everybody defecting and trying to leave me? I mean, you just got Dion there at Colorado, and now they're already talking about going to the Big 12. And we already know the Big 12 is going to add BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF next season, bringing its total members to, to 14. So we know they're making they're making a big play. And that's after um, with Texas and Oklahoma going to now going to the SEC, coming up and going to the SEC. So they're really replacing what they're going to be not excuse me not replacing to the magnitude, but they're bringing in a lot more teams to replace what they're going to be losing with Texas and Oklahoma. The Pac-12 needs to really take a look at itself and kind of figure out where they fit in here and stop the bleeding because you know Joe Clatt has been. He was on this early, and we spoke about it, if not last pod, maybe two pods ago. He's been talking about this. There's a really big shakeup that's going to be happening in college football, and I think it was just a little mustard seed, but now it's a full-blown watermelon. We need to start talking about it a lot more. Yeah, you're absolutely right, because it is starting to dominate the headlines. And when news outlets like Sports Illustrated start reporting this kind of stuff, you know where there's smoke, there's fire, and there's starting to be a lot of smoke around the Pac-12 and about this realignment talk. It just has continued all summer long here, or all spring long, I should say. The bottom line here, Alex, is that, that if Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov doesn't get a favorable media deal in front of these schools that get them the money and the exposure that they're looking for, it's over for the Pac-12 as we know it. That's the bottom line. Because this conference has been on life support 
since the LA schools announced that they were going to be joining the Big Ten. If two more schools, like a Colorado and Arizona, if they decide to leave, the dam at that point would officially break and they'd all be looking for a life raft. College football is suddenly starting to feel like a game of musical chairs. These teams are starting to look around and saying, we need to find stability. We need to find our chairs, so to speak, because we don't want to be left on the outside looking in when the dust settles. Hey, PGF Nation, are you tired of the same old bland food at your tailgate parties? Well, let me tell you about my friends at the Tailgate Foodie, the seasoning and barbecue sauce company that specializes in elevating your tailgate and backyard cooking game. With their unique blend of spices and sauces, the Tailgate Foodie will take your taste buds on a flavor journey that you won't forget. Use code PINTGLASSFOODIE for 15% off your first order at thetailgatefoodie.com. Zencaster is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. Coordinating all your guests to record in person is painful and tedious. Easily invite up to 11 participants per recording with one click. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code PGFP, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Hey there, PGF Nation. You know what's important when you're having a good time? Staying hydrated. And that's where Liquid IV comes in, the category-winning hydration brand that's fueling your well-being. With just one stick of Liquid IV, you get two times faster hydration than water alone, plus five essential vitamins to keep you feeling your best. And let's not forget about the convenience factor. The packaging is perfect for on the go, whether you're tailgating or just hanging out on the couch. But what really sets Liquid IV apart is the amazing flavors. Personally, I'm all about the Concord Grape and Lemon Lime. And with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, Liquid IV is made with premium ingredients to give you the hydration and nourishment you need. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code PGFP at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code PGFP at liquidiv.com. So next time you're cracking open a cold one and settling in for the big game, make sure you've got Liquid IV by your side. Trust me, your body will thank you. All right, I thought it would be fun to do some NFL positional rankings, but we're going to do it with a twist here. We're going to draft the top eight cornerbacks in the NFL going into the 2023 season. Alex, I'm going to let you start this draft. You're on the clock here. Who are you taking as the best cornerback in the league right now? I am going with Patrick Sertain. I love this guy's size, speed, intensity, tenacity. He can play press man coverage. He can play in the zone. He's not afraid to tackle. I just think he's a fine tool player in terms of, and if we look at rankings, he's probably not ranked number one, but for what I like in my cornerbacks, Patrick Sertain fits the bill. He's the prototype for what I like in a cornerback. Yeah. Patrick Sertain, man, such a good player. He's not as flashy as some of these other guys, but just such a consistent, steady presence on the outside such a fundamentally good player. I have no problem with him going number one. I know some people listen to this probably didn't expect him to go one, but I don't have a problem with it because he was going to go high in this draft regardless. Really, really good young player who's developed into one of the best in the league. At number two, I'm going to have to go with Sauce Gardner of the New York Jets here. Another young guy that it's almost hard to believe 
that he's this high on the list already. But man, this is a guy that just came into the league and instantly was a day one impact player. If you want to look at the stats, he backs it up. You want to look at all the advanced analytics and all the numbers, he backs it up. If you just want to look at it from an eye test, long, athletic, disruptive, reads routes, he knows where to be in coverage. I mean, this guy is going to be a really good player in this league for a long time. Yeah, I mean, that that length and speed and strength at the point of attack. I mean, I really like that. And he does, he's a personnel I watched a lot. And he does something that I love, love, love. He uses the sideline as a second defender. That's a great pick at number two. Uh, for me at number three, I struggle with this, but I like what I saw from Trayvon Diggs. Because last year, excuse me, the previous year, he had gaudy stats in terms of interceptions, but that's because he took a lot of reckless chances. And he was also, in the, if I'm not mistaken, in the top four for giving up the most yards because he was taking those chances. This past season, he toned that down. He stayed in front of plays. He did not give up the he did not give the big plays, but was still a ball hawk. And a lot of people did not want to test him. And I think he's going to continuously get better. And I like that I saw that he recognized it's nice to get interceptions, but I'm giving up too many big plays that could cost us games. Let me tone that back a little bit and let me become a fine tool DB. And I love what I saw. And that's one thing I love. I love when people are self-aware and then they show the growth and they pivot off of what might have been nice. And to the points that you made, Brad, flashy. I loved what he did and I love the growth that I saw from him this season. Again, taking plays that you may not have ranked that high, but I love the growth. And I think when I have a player that's self-aware, he's just simply going to get better and better in every single year. Yeah, you hit it on the head with Diggs. All pro in 2021, led the league in interceptions. Last year had fewer turnovers, but man, he was so much more consistent and gave up way fewer yards in coverage. I like the growth and maturity that I saw from Diggs as well. That was my big knock on him the prior season was all the interceptions were great, but he was taking too many risks and giving up a lot of yardage, trying to jump routes, trying to be aggressive, trying to take the ball away. I like what I saw from him. You hit it on the head perfectly. That development, he's really become a high-level player. Alex, I might surprise some people here. Well, quite frankly, this whole list, I think, is going to surprise some people. Maybe not the order that people were expecting here, but I'm going to go with Jair Alexander with the Green Bay Packers. This is a guy that I think is easily in the debate of a top four, top five cornerback in the league, but you can make a case he might be the most consistent out of all these guys on this list. Just a really solid player. You know what you're going to get from him week in and week out. Sometimes he's prone to give up a big play here and there. I get that, but an athletic corner, great instincts, a guy that I know if I'm starting the team, he'd be on my short list of corners I'd look to take. Yeah, Jair Alexander, I mean, having a great bounce back here. I mean, this guy was potential that this guy was displaying. He finally, unfortunately, he got hurt, but then we saw him come back next season and hit back, get back to what we thought we were going to see the year that he got hurt. So I'm happy he's back. I mean, that Green Bay defense, he's an anchor in the backfield of that Green Bay defense. You know, when they lost a safety last year, but Jair is going to be able to be back there to keep the consistency going with that the defensive backfield of the Green Bay Packers. So that's a great pick. For me, I'm going to go with Darius Slay. Darius Slay has been a very, very good cornerback for years. You just didn't know about it because, I'm sorry, Detroit Lions fans, it's because he was playing in Detroit. Now that he was sent to the Eagles and he's been on the main stage, I think that people have been able to see what a lot of people missed when he was playing in Detroit. He's an anchor in that backfield. He cleaned up a lot what was going on back there because they did not have cornerbacks. They had safeties, but they did not have cornerbacks. But Darius Slade coming there, being a man corner, being a shutdown corner over the past two seasons has shown why he is one of the top corners in this league. Yeah, there's no doubt. He was huge for them. He was a pivotal part of that defense that got just short of a Super Bowl championship last year. Really, really good player. Alex, I think this guy, I think the slide has to stop here. I'm going to take Jalen Ramsey now with the Miami Dolphins. This is a guy that's just had some great seasons in this league, playing in multiple different defenses, playing a lot of different roles, a, a versatile player. And, and quite frankly, you can make a strong case that he's the best run defender at the cornerback position in the entire league. 
I'm going to be really fascinated to see what his role is going to be in this Vic Vangio defense in Miami. I think we might see maybe one of his best seasons yet. Fangio is going to know exactly how to utilize his skill set. I'm expecting a good year from Ramsey. So at number seven, I'm going to take Marshawn Lattimore. I mean, I love this guy's size. I love what he brings to the table. He's, again, a shutdown corner. I love shutdown corners. I will always pick shutdown corners over zone corners. But I love Marshawn Lattimore here. I know he's been hurt, and that's a big, huge thing with me. I will always take availability over the great talent and maybe have you for six or seven games a season because that does matter in this league. But at seven, this talent is too much for me to pass on here. I'm going to take Marshawn Lattimore at number seven. Yeah, similar to Ramsey, at a certain point, he slides down the board. A guy that good available in this draft, totally understand that pick. And it's going to be a similar one for me here. I'm going to wrap it up with the eighth corner here, Stephon Gilmore. I mean, there was a period in time here where Gilmore was the best cornerback in the NFL. Not sure he's at that peak anymore, but still a really solid player and played at a really high level for the Colts. I think it really went a little unnoticed last season, just how good of a player he was for them. I'm going to be interested once again, like I just talked about with Jalen Ramsey moving to Miami, Stephon Gilmore now in Dallas with Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator there. It'll be really interesting to see how they utilize his skill set, him being on the opposite side of another guy on our list in Diggs. This secondary could be really, really good for the Dallas Cowboys because I still think Gilmore's got some gas left in the tank. So, Brad, really quick, before we move on, was the next cornerback on your list J.C. Horn? So <laughs> this this is where it gets interesting because I was actually going to see if if we were to do some honorable mentions here. Okay. I, I think J.C. Horn would have to be an honorable mention, and he was without a doubt right there on the edge of a guy that I really considered drafting. I think less than 1,000 snaps just might not be enough because he's had some injury issues. I had a hard time putting him ahead of some of these like veteran guys who just have a more complete resume, but he's right there. There's no doubt about it. And to throw another honorable mention out there, a guy that I think easily could jump back into this discussion is AJ Terrell for the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, that's so fun. Those are, those were my next two in order. Chase yeah, AJ Terrell. Yeah, you know AJ Terrell two years ago, played at an all-pro level. I mean, the guy was just outstanding. We had a little bit of a dip last year, but I think he's got the ability to be right back in the mix as an elite cornerback in this league. I would not be the least bit surprised if he bumps a couple of these veteran guys off the list by the end of 2023. The NFL draft grades, just a couple divisions left here. This is a big division. Here we're breaking down the AFC East. Alex, why don't you kick it off? Yeah, so here we have Bill Belichick's <laughs> Bill Belichick's New England Patriots. Obviously, at number one, if you've been paying attention to this pod, me and Brad are very, very, very high on Christian Gonzalez. I mean, we thought he should have been a top 10 pick based upon how we did our mock drafts. We cannot in any way, shape, or form believe that he slid all the way down to Bill Belichick. I mean, the guy that actually develops DBs, whether they are undrafted, whether they come from the sixth round or whether they come from, from the first round. And now you hand over to him, likely from our perspective, the best cornerback in the draft. I won't go into everything that we love about him. I mean, if you want, feel free. We love the listens. Please go back and listen to basically every podcast because I believe we mentioned him in every podcast for the most part. With their second round pick, they went with defensive end Keon White. I was now he, from Georgia Tech. I was not very familiar with Keon White, but when I started to look at the tape and then when I got to the measurables, I understood that this is a prototypical Bill Belichick player a player that is multiple that I can put anywhere on that defensive line that is going to stop the run and at times be able to get after the quarterback. I mean, when you look at what he did at old dominion and then what he did at Georgia tech, 
tackles for loss. What does that mean? He's getting into the backfield. He's hitting the right gaps. He's beating his man. He's showing his strength. He has great technique, and he's getting into the backfield and disrupting plays. That's what Bill Belichick loves. He is not. He does not really truly care about sacks. He cares about disrupting plays because when you disrupt plays, as I alluded to earlier, those DBs in the back get to make turnovers and have interceptions. So I thought that this is a great pick, prototypical pick for the Patriots. We have Marty Mapu from Sacramento State in the third round. I am very confused about this pick. I am not sure who this player is. There is little to no tape on him. I tried to take a look at what NFL.com had to say. There's not a lot there, even in the strength, strengths and weaknesses. This is a player that I, I would just literally have to put an incomplete next to because I don't think we know enough. And maybe Brad being on the West Coast, you can add some context to it. So, But I'll, but I'll wait to hear what you have to say. Jake Andrews, again, a player that I'm not aware of a lot. But one thing we can say about Bill Belichick, he knows how to draft defensive linemen. He knows how to draft cornerbacks. And he knows how to draft offensive linemen. This is a, this is a pick that I would lean more to. You know what? He simply knows what he's doing. Then it kind of gets a little weird here. Chad Ryland, probably the best place kicker, or if not, maybe the second best place kicker in, in the draft. They drafted him in the fourth round. I'm going to assume it's just a, a need and they needed to draft him. So in, in the fourth round, they had three fourth round picks. So maybe this is a, a value pick for them in the fourth round since they had so many. And then as typical Bill Belichick, he went back to that offensive line with the fourth and the last of the fourth round and then the top of the fifth round with City Sal and Antonio Mafia out of Eastern Michigan and UCLA, respectively. But here's the pick that I really want to talk about. Kayshawn Butte. Now, throughout the entire Bill Belichick tenure, they have had issues drafting wide receivers. Here's a wide receiver that I think might have a chance to succeed in terms of the draft, the wide receiver draft resume of Bill Belichick and the Patriots. This is a guy that's a fine tool player. He was not the number one. He was supposed to be the number one, but he was not the number one at LA. He was not the number one at LSU, but he has all of the traits of a solid NFL receiver. And now you have him, you have Tyquan, excuse me, you have Tyquan Thornton, you have Mike Gusecki, you have Hunter there as well. So you have a two tight end set that Keishon Boutte is going to see a lot, a lot of single coverage that I believe that he can beat. And he can finally be one of the success stories of the wide receivers drafted by Bill Belichick. However, overall, because there's so much here that I can't really place my hand on, I have to give them a C plus. Now, knowing when we look back on this draft in five years, probably five of these guys will be pro bowlers for (laughs) for all I know, because he did draft offensive linemen. And he actually went later on in the draft. He got two other DBs. And again, I alluded to that he is, you know, excellent at developing and drafting DBs, whether they come from undrafted or their lower round. But with Christian Gonzalez and Keon White and Kayshawn Butte, if I was to really just, you know what, I'll give it, I'll push it up to a B minus just based upon how he's always drafted offensive linemen and with Christian Gonzalez and Keon White at, at the first and second round pick, what they're going to do for that defense. So I'm actually going to change my grade written from what I had written earlier, I'm going to move it to a B minus simply because I trust Bill Belichick when it comes to these offensive linemen so much, even if I can't pinpoint what it is. Yeah. A lot of great points there, Alex. I mean, Christian Gonzalez at pick number 17 and they traded back to 17 and you get arguably the best player in this draft. Ridiculous value. I don't know how they pulled that off. To me, that is just not only their best pick, a great pick. It's the best pick in the first round, period. So I give huge points for getting Christian Gonzalez where they did. Nobody in a million years thought he'd fall outside of the top 10, let alone outside of the top 15. Just crazy. Keon White, good player, makes total sense. I think he fits what they do. You mentioned Marte Mapu, linebacker from Sacramento State. I'm on the West Coast, but I'll be honest, I don't watch a whole lot of Sacramento State football, just to be frank. but. The one thing I do know about this guy is that he was a standout at the Senior Bowl. And even though he didn't get invited to the Combine, I think that's where he started rising up draft boards. And I do remember hearing some analysts talking about he could be a guy to watch for 
in this draft. So the, he had a little buzz going into this draft by some analyst, and not a total shock that he went where he did. I'm with you on a lot of these small school offensive linemen. He just has a track record with those guys. He tends to hit on those types of players a lot. Hard to knock those picks. He really beefed up this offensive line in this draft class. And if a couple of these guys pan out, and I think they will, this could be a really good draft. I thought taking a kicker in the fourth round, Chad Ryland was interesting, but they moved up to get him. Clearly, they were really high on this kid, and he was the best kicker in this draft. So we know that Bill Belichick values special teams. We know he values the kicking game. He clearly felt really confident using a fourth-round pick on him, so I actually don't hate that pick at all. And another late-round pick that I really like that I am pretty familiar with is Antonio Maffi, the guard from UCLA. This guy is big, man. Six foot two, 338 pounds, a power player in the interior. He can move guys around. Now, does he have some developing, developing to do? Yes. But which team develops offensive linemen better than the Patriots? Probably nobody. So... I could see him in a year or two becoming a really good player for them. Kayshawn Booty from LSU, another just good value pick in the sixth round. It's hard not to be impressed with what the Patriots did here. I was thinking A, A minus the whole way, B plus at the worst. I, I was really, really impressed with this draft from the Patriots. All right, let's jump to the Miami Dolphins. Now, they took South Carolina cornerback Cam Smith with the 51st overall pick. If you guys remember, they had to move some draft capital in that Tyreek Hill trade. So their first pick wasn't until 51st, but I really like this pick. This is a guy who excelled in zone coverage in college. He was a lockdown corner in the SEC, 4.43 40-yard dash. I had a late first, early second round grade on him. At 51, I think it's good value. He's long. He plays outside. Great instincts. Shows great anticipation. A guy who jumps routes, attacks the ball to catch point. Not great in man coverage. I think that's probably the biggest red flag for his game. But in a zone-based scheme, I think he could be a really good player. Their next pick was Texas A&M running back Devon A-Chain. This could be one of the steals of the draft, Alex. I expected him to go much earlier than 84th overall. Big-time speed and a weapon in the pass game. Now, he's small by NFL standards, but he's actually a really tough runner between the tackles, surprisingly, when you watch his tape. He's got a quick-cut first step, explosive first step, pull-away speed. This guy is going to be a home-run threat every time he gets the ball. I really like that pick. Now, later they took Stanford tight end Elijah Higgins at number 197. This is a big slot receiver, nice speed. He's a crisp route runner, good field vision. Another guy that I think is just a really solid pick at 197. Now, he was a tight end in college, a little undersized to play tight end at the NFL level. But like I said, I expect him to be more of a big slot possession receiver. And quite frankly, that's something that this team needed. They've got all that speed and all those playmakers on the outside. Having a big target over the middle, I think, really fits a need for this team. Now, in the seventh round, they took Michigan offensive tackle Ryan Hayes. Just great value in the seventh round. I mean, this is a two-year starter at left tackle for Michigan, which was one of the best offensive lines in college football the last couple of years. He's big. He's athletic. He can pull and pick up blocks in space. Going into this draft, Alex, I think their biggest needs were offensive line, tight end, and running back. Now, I know Elijah Higgins isn't a typical tight end, but I think he can kind of fit that big target role for them. They filled all those spots, and I think they got some great value picks along the way. There's not a single pick that I didn't like for the Dolphins. I'm going to give them a B-plus, Alex. Without a first-rounder, I have to knock them down from an A. But I was really impressed with what the Dolphins did in this draft. Yeah, Brad, I, I, I agree. I mean, with the limited amount of picks, I mean, I think they addressed what they needed to address with Cam Smith. I mean, listen, you're going to have Vic Fangio back there. You have Jalen Ramsey back there. I mean, if Vic Fangio signed off on this pick, 
then I'm signing off on the pick. I mean, this to me is one of the best defensive mind of at least the last 20 years that we have in the leagues. And I trust everything that he had. HN, uh, at 5'9", 180, I mean, what is this? This is a one-cut running back. will put his foot in the ground and hit in that zone run scheme that they're going to run. He is going to get north and south quickly, and he can catch out the backfield as well. Elijah Higgins, when I was looking at him and I was watching him, I said, oh, okay, he's a wide receiver, so this is interesting. But that size immediately said tight end to me. And when I looked at the depth chart, here's Elijah Higgins, though listed uh, one, two, three, though listed fourth on the depth chart behind Durham Smith, Eric Starbert, and Tyler Croft. I'm sure he'll be able to move up and they will find some plays for him to get on the field because, like you said, those hips <laughs> – how they moved, and if you watched him, he was very smooth in and out of those breaks, and he's where he's supposed to be, and he does catch. He's a high-point ball catcher as well. So I think that the, that bodes well for them in this in, in this offense, provided they actually use him because they did have a very good tight end in Mike Gusecki. From my perspective, they simply did not use him. But he will have time to develop, as I say, currently he's fourth, but he can easily move up that depth chart as training camps open. Ryan Hayes, I mean, Michigan, they kind of have these – this thing for nasty offensive linemen. It's a, it's an okay pick. I think it's a developing pick for me. He's just a little bit light in the light in the pants. I mean, under 300 pounds, eh. but I think they can put some weight on it. And, you know, he's going to have some time to develop in that offense playing behind somebody like Terrence Armstead. So perhaps he can pick up some things and be a potential contributor, whether he's a swing tackle or anything in that sense. So I do like this draft and, and I am in agreement with you with only four picks. I believe that they addressed a lot of what they needed in the draft. The Buffalo Bills. I have a lot to say about the Buffalo Bills. But specifically on this draft, uh, at number one drafting Dalton Kincaid, he is the prototypical 2023 tight end. I mean, a guy that you'll be able to split out wide, that has some speed, that can get north and south, that can catch the intermediate routes as well. And in that offense, along with Stefan Diggs, he should be able to see a lot of balls coming his way and he should be able to gobble them up and have possibly be in running for offensive rookie of the year, the way that offense is set up. So, you know, great pick for them. Second round pick, Osiris Torrance, uh, Florida. I am a Gator fan. I know this player very well. Strong, mean at the point of attack. In the run game, you're not going to have a problem. In the passing game, you will find that a lot of the inside rushes that are quick that are quick twitch inside rushes and maybe get caught if he gets caught on stunts. I noticed that a lot in the Clemson game, excuse me, in the Tennessee game. If he gets caught on stunts, he's going to have a problem picking that up. So those are things that they're going to have to work on. And for the Buffalo Bills, this was an absolute position of need, being that they lost so much on their offensive line. Dorian Williams, we know with the exit of Tremaine Edmonds, they needed to fill the fill the gap with the player even though they moved Mike, Matt Milano over. But Dory Williams, I like the production that he gave us at Tulane. I mean, he was fast. He was getting into the backfield. He was he's actually able to get a few sacks as well. And I think this player can actually contribute immediately how the Bills are, how the bills are currently set up. I think this is a player that's actually going to see action often and early in that Buffalo Bills offense. Justin Shorter in the fifth round. I want to talk about this play again, not simply because he is he's from Florida, but I think they got a guy that they've been looking for. They lost Isaiah McKenzie in the offseason to the uh, to the to the Colts, I believe. And this is a guy that can slide in. He knows what he's supposed to be doing because of the way the offense was run by Tom Chase, the offensive coordinator at Florida and Anthony Richardson not being able to pick up as much as the playbook he could at the time. He started out strong, but then as the entire Florida team did offensively, he waned towards the back end of the season. So what you saw in Florida, he's actually a better player than that. It was just a simple fact that they could not get more of the offensive plays on the field for him, just given the development of Anthony Richardson and everybody at the same time at the speed that it was moving. So I think they actually found a gem in the fifth round. Uh, I'm I will lean to you, Brad. I know Oregon State, perhaps you do a little bit more about Alex Austin, but again, they did in the seventh round, excuse me, Alex Austin, the cornerback. And then in the seventh round, they also did get another offensive guard. And as I mentioned, again, they were, they did lose the right side of their offensive line. So they did address those needs. However, because of what I'm watching with them and 
They did not use Dawson Knox, who I think is a solid tight end. He's not Dalton Kincaid. They're trying to expand on the offense more. And I know they needed another wide receiver, or rather another receiver at the time to go along with Stefan Diggs. And they did lose one as well. I just really, really, truly thought they should have maybe gone offensive tackle. And at the time, you had Antoine Harrison from Oklahoma available. And I just feel that they, if you have to protect your quarterback and you lost so much on the right side of that line that you really need to step up and pay attention to that because they did not address it in offseason. I mean, well, they addressed it with one player, David Quisenberry, but he's really just a career backup. But having Dawson Knox there, and he was underutilized from my perspective, and having another offensive tackle available to you at that point in time. And we went through this entire offseason with the coaching staff, Sean McDermott, saying they want him to run less. They want him to do things differently. You had an opportunity to do a lot of different things that I felt that they did not do and they did not address, even coming down, excuse me, even coming down to cornerbacks as well, because they have other issues there. But I won't go on an entire Buffalo Bills diatribe at the moment. But I will say they at least addressed the receiver situation and they did address the offensive line situation. So I'm going to give them what I like to call a soft B, which is a B minus in this draft. I really wanted to kill them, but I can't. But I will wait until we get to our division rankings to really tell you how I feel about the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> I think PGF Nation's starting to get the hint, though, Alex. You've already made the claims this team is not making the playoffs. Maybe this draft class helps keep them in that mix, but I know you're not very high on this team. I was pretty high on this draft class, though, and I love Dalton Kincaid. I think he was one of the best first-round picks in this entire draft elite hands not good hands elite hands this guy is a big time playmaker now he's not going to help much as a blocker but you want to talk about a flex tight end who can really cause some damage over the middle of the field and up the seam he is going to be a instant day one impact player I thought that was a great pick and quite frankly I just don't think that they thought he'd be available at 25 I know I was shocked I thought he was a top 15 prospect for him to be there, I think is just tremendous value. I like Osiris Torrance. I get what you're saying as, as far as a pass blocker, but he did only give up two sacks in college. So maybe a little underrated as a pass blocker. I, I'm not questioning you know, your take on him. I know you watch more Florida football than I do, but he definitely is a really good run blocker. And I think this is a team that's going to run the ball more. I think they're going to switch their philosophy and try to establish more of a run game outside of Josh Allen. So I kind of understand the philosophy of getting a big, nasty run blocker up front. Justin Shorter, the other player from Florida, I just like this guy's size-speed combination in his hands. This is a guy that rarely ever dropped a football, only had three drops in his three seasons at Florida. So a sure-handed guy with size and speed, I think is always a great value in the fifth. You mentioned the cornerback from Oregon State late in the seventh round. I think it's a good value pick. Now, the only reason he's available there is he ran a 4-5-5-40, which isn't terrible, but it's not that elite NFL cornerback speed that scouts are looking for. But the guy's 6'1", 191 pounds. So he's a guy that can play in a lot of different coverages. I think he's going to be able to play inside and outside, depending on matchups. I think it was a really good value late in the seventh because I would not be surprised if this guy made an impact on special teams and maybe even saw some playing time in some dime packages, maybe some quarter packages, things like that. I could see him getting on the field a little bit this year as well. I like what the Bills did in this draft. Yeah, Alex, I think a B is fair. I, I'm definitely in the same range. I might have bumped him up maybe a little above that, but I, overall, I, I'm totally in this in the same belief as you. Maybe not an absolute home run draft, but a really solid draft for the Buffalo Bills. All right, let's wrap this up here with probably the most talked about team in the entire NFL this offseason, the New York Jets. Now, offensive tackle was a big need for the Jets in this class but four of them were already off the board before their first pick at 15. The Steelers traded in front of them and really took the last first-round prospect at tackle, so that forced them to pivot in this draft. But with that being said, 
I love the pick. Will McDonald, a player that I mentioned on some earlier episodes when we were doing some pre-draft coverage, I'm really high on this guy. I think he is an outstanding player. I think he's one of the best players in this first round. Edge defender from Iowa State, productive player, 33 sacks, 10 forced fumbles in college, explosive pass rusher, long arms, high motor, awesome spin move, one of my favorite players in this draft. In the second round, with the 43rd pick, they took Joe Tipman, the center from Wisconsin. They missed out on a top tackle in round one, but I like what they did in the second round, still addressing the offensive line. This is a guy with a high football IQ. He makes all the calls at the line of scrimmage, athletic guy who can play in a zone blocking scheme, or he can pull, pick up defenders. He's Like I said, he's athletic, moves his feet well. He has the size, the strength, and the IQ and athletic ability that I think is going to make him a day one starter for sure. The only knock that I have on this pick, Alex, is John Michael Schmitz was on the board, and I think he's the best center in this class, the center that ended up going to the other New York team, the Giants. We talked about him when we did the NFC East. Now, Tipman was my number two ranked center. It wasn't a huge gap as far as how I had them ranked. Clearly, the Jets liked Tipman more, so time will tell which New York team got the better center. I don't hate the pick, but like I said, I would have gone the other direction there. Now, in the fourth round, they took Carter Warren, the offensive tackle from Pittsburgh, almost 6'6", 310 pounds. He has the size and length that teams are looking for. Seven-foot wingspan. Gotta love a long-armed guy at the offensive tackle position. Now, he's a better pass protector than he is a run blocker, but he has the size and strength to get better in the NFL. Red flag for him is he's got slow feet, and he plays a little too upright at times. I'm not quite sure he's a starter. I think more than likely he's a backup player, but I think he has some developmental upside. In the fifth round, they took Israel Abanacanda out of Pittsburgh, the running back out of Pittsburgh, 5'10", 215 pounds, big, big time production at Pittsburgh. I mean, this guy ran for more than 100 yards in nine of 11 games last season with 20 rushing touchdowns. If you guys remember last season, he was one of my players that got my college football helmet sticker one week because he put on an absolute show. He's a one-cut, decisive runner, plants his foot, hits the hole, high-end acceleration, top-end speed. He can pull away in open space. Doesn't have the best field vision at times. Not a guy that's going to be a valuable third-down back because, quite frankly, he's just bad in pass protection. But tremendous value in the fifth because he's the guy that's going to be in the rotation. He's going to be a contributor day one. I like the flyer they took on tight end Zach Kuntz from Old Dominion. He was a guy that was really impressive at the combine. I like this class, Alex. Really solid group by Joe Douglas and the New York Jets. I think they added some nice pieces in this class. Not an absolute slam dunk, but I'm going to give him a B plus. Yeah, you know, Brad, I think, you know, with the first pick, I think we we there's probably going to be a lot more that comes out to that because we know that was the another Bill proverbial, you know, F you to the Jets from Bill Belichick when they, he traded with Pittsburgh, allowed them to jump them to get Broderick Jones from Georgia when we knew that's who they had, the Jets had targeted. But I think the pivot to Will McDonald was very good. And what I noticed was when you were talking, I wanted to take a look at a few things. So as always, I went and took a look at a few contracts. This fits the timeline of the youth of what they have last year. They also drafted Jermaine Johnson, another very good draft. Who's in front of these two people, John Franklin Myers, as well as Carl Lawson. Uh, Carl Lawson is going to be a cap casualty next year. And when he becomes a cap casualty, now you have either Jermaine or will who can step right in. And the other can be on the back and as a uh, swing defensive end to have that nice rotation of, of those defensive ends as we did see with the Eagles and what it did for them, because we know the number one thing that the jets are doing this off season, they are going to have to sign Quentin Williams. Who's going to have one of the top three defensive tackle contracts uh, in the league. So I'm um, looking at that. That was a very good pivot. Cause we know that's what they wanted to do there. Joe Timmon, I can agree with you as well. I had those two centers close as well. 
and having a good center that can call the line plays, as you mentioned, and pull and do the things that they need to do, especially with the player that they drafted in the fifth round that we'll talk that I'll talk about in a moment, but also bringing in Aaron Rodgers. This guy is a guy that'll mesh with Aaron Rodgers. That will be able to. He's from Wisconsin. We know how Wisconsin does with their offensive linemen. They tend to put very solid offensive linemen in the league. You have the quote unquote Green Bay connection there because I'm sure Joe Titman's had some time because the Wisconsin team does spend a lot of time at the Green Bay facility with those coaches, Israel Abinaconda. And I think what we are going to see now with a healthy Brees Hall, they still have Michael Carter, and now you bring in this high productive player. You re, they revamped the entire offensive line, bringing in Lakin Thomason. They kept Dwayne Brown. You have Elijah Vera Tucker from last year. And we still have to figure out what we're going to do at that right tackle position. If I'm not mistaken, Makai Becton is still on the team. And I had him pegged for a cap casualty. But And if you're telling me that Makai Becton can remain healthy and that offensive line together with this running game and with Aaron Rodgers at the helm and with the weapons that they have. But in going back to the draft, I do like what they did with the first four picks in the draft. So I'm willing to get, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with you with the draft raid that you gave because I, I love the pivot because what happens when we see a lot of players, and this also happened with the Giants, if you remember, we noticed this back when the Giants were going to draft Laramie Tunsil, but unfortunately had an off-the-field issue happen. They panicked and they drafted Eli Apple, a player they did not want to draft. But here you see the Giants, the Jets, excuse me, the Jets were well-prepared and Will McDonald and draft him. So with, I love that move. I love when people are prepared and it, it, it's always not going to go your way, but they were prepared to pivot and knew exactly what they needed to do and drafted the right player here to the points that you made earlier. So I'm in agreement with the draft free that you gave them. I can't wait to see the Jets on the field this year. I can't wait either, Alex. This is an exciting team to follow. We're definitely not done talking about them, and we're definitely not done talking more NFL and college football in the weeks to come. It may be the offseason, but we're not turning it off, guys. we got a lot more coverage coming your guys' way in these following weeks, of course. And I've mentioned it in recent episodes. I'll mention it again before we get out of here. Be sure to go to pintglassfootball.com. Sign up for the newsletter. We've got exclusive content that is only coming out in the newsletter. Been dropping lots of great articles, so be sure to go there and sign up for that. But before we get out of here, I want to give a shout-out to our friends at The Tailgate Foodie for sponsoring today's episode. Check them out at thetailgatefoodie.com. I'm Brad Fowler. He's Alex Higdon. This is Pint Glass Football, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.